0: You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. It is Wednesday, April 13, 2022, episode 97. I'm joined with my co-host, Christina Dennis. How you doing, Christina?
1: I am doing wonderful for Wednesday. How are you doing, Damon Frank?
0: You know what? It is not bad for a Wednesday, right? It is right. not bad at all. I, I, Wednesdays are usually very busy for me. I don't know about you, so I usually wake up with a little anxiety. I'm going to be honest, a sure. little bit of anxiety on Wednesdays because it's like, oh man, the week is halfway through, and I've got to, <laughs> I got to get everything done.
1: Right, we we'll about done. it. We talked about it, I don't know, last Wednesday or the last Wednesday, you were not well, but the Wednesday before that we talked about how it's the furthest day from the weekend. And that's why they call it hump day, um, that more fights break out on Wednesdays than any other day. I'm not sure if that's true, but I heard it. And I think it rings true for a little logic.
0: You, you shocked me when you gave me that stat. I was like, really? But I could see it because this leads into the topic that we've got. We've got a really great show for everybody. So hang tight. Uh, hang tight. We've got two really great segments coming up. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to hit home. They hit home with me. I even had a little anxiety about, uh, you know, about, oh, my God, we're going to talk about we're gonna talk about perfectionism, yes. perfectionism.
1: <laughs> do you feel a little called out? Before we do that though, I wanna make sure that I tell everybody this: this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and you. Uh, please keep sharing, liking, following, and leave us a comment so we can bring interesting topics uh, to the show. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network and there's a space there, a place that you can make a donation, which helps us to continue to help others. The link again is info.recoveredlife.us.
0: Oh, so important, Christina. Thank you so much. It is people just like you that are listening right now on the podcast. You're listening live or you're in the Recovered Life Network and you're watching the content, getting a lot out of it. Just throwing a couple bucks into the donation uh, can really helps us out a lot. It it helps us bring this information to people who really, really need it. So thank you very much. Uh, Well, great topic today, perfectionism and shame. Yes. Perfectionism to- and shame. Toxic shame. This, Christina. Toxic shame. Toxic shame. Yes. It's not just shame, it's toxic shame. So, why are we talking about this today, Christina?
1: Well, I think it's prevalent, if not almost 100%, that most addicts are perfectionists, you know, underneath it all. And it may seem contrary to some of the things that we do, but it's one of the reasons why we have to break free. Uh, and why we found the substance that'll you know took us away from life uh perfectionism is born out of toxic shame and i think that's really uh important to remember uh a lot of us joke about it i'm a little perfectionist but true yeah. perfectionism is really really a losing battle for anyone uh i uh, was reading recently and we've talked about her book but it's so profound how she discusses it and that's for, uh, Dr. Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And she does a whole section on toxic shame and perfectionism. And what what struck me, because I've kind of come at it, we've had people on the show that talk about Mm -hmm. perfectionism. What struck me was how truly dangerous it is. Uh, Statistically, research shows us that perfectionism actually hinders us from mastery. It actually hinders us from getting to our goal. And I thought, oh my God, I want to shout that from the rooftop so that people realize it's not healthy striving. There's a major difference.
0: You're right. And and the thing is with perfectionism that's interesting is there's almost like a mental health component where you cross the line and it becomes OCD, right? Like for me, I know it's like, because I'm somebody who likes things. I like to get it right right you know i i want to get it right i'm gonna be honest like and like even this morning i said to you because i I was a couple minutes late you know i had a week of not feeling well and now i'm back and i feel like i should get everything that i missed over that week done in an hour and a half totally the reality it's just not it's not based in reality And I'm already doing great output, right? Like we were talking about that yesterday. Yes. I get, I get, you can become OCD about it where, and I know for me, it's just like, well, I just don't want to do anything. Then I get stuck in inaction, Mm -hmm. which is killer for people that are in addiction.
1: Totally. And Damon, you are 100% right about it being a mental health issue. It It is not only detrimental and devastating. It's also, uh, according to Atlas of the Heart, addictive. Because yes. it's detrimental because it's impossible, right? But when we fail, which we will inevitably fail, our reasoning isn't this goal is unrealistic. Our reasoning is, oh, I wasn't perfect enough. And so we yes. double down on this perfectionism. And it is, it is, I think, uh something that needs to be discussed from childhood on, because I'll tell you uh the, the way that it was described in the book and my own experience was, you know, that you were raised in a situation where the only thing that gave you the attention of a caregiver was when you achieved. And knowing what we know about dopamine, knowing that it's fleeting, it doesn't last. You can see, you can see how you honestly got there.
0: Well, I think, you know, the interesting thing is it's definitely a brain pattern. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that in Recovered Life discussions, we had a great discussion and we're going to play that uh, here on the podcast, uh, you know, in an upcoming episode because it was so good. And people are talking about how they feel just trapped in this, Mm -hmm. almost like an OCD thing. Now, let's talk about the shame in this because I didn't get this at first, but the more that people talked about the shame... Associated with perfectionism. Let's dive into that a little bit because people might be a little bit confused. I know I was when sure. I heard the Brene Brown stuff. It's like, how does this tie in? How, how does right. the shame tie in?
1: Well, first let's back up and, and explain about shame. And, you know, the she started her career 20 years ago on this. And do you know when she decided that this is what she wanted to research, she was literally told by people that's a career killer. All right. (laughs) And one of the reasons why shame can hide um, and we don't talk about it is because we can feel shame from talking about shame. We can feel shame from from actually just saying the word. And shame means uh, shame is different than guilt. Shame means that we are bad. So it's not about an outward uh, behavior. It's about who we are. Whereas guilt, which is healthy, and actually, can be, you know, dotted line to improvement, uh, which is, you know, I'm, I feel bad about what I did. Shame actually keeps us small. It, we keep it a secret. We don't talk about it. And so the shame that drives us, like we are bad, can go right into perfectionism because we decide that somehow if we are perfect, then we don't get to carry our shame. But what we know about the elusive perfect is that right underneath it is that shame because we could just add more shame to it. I wasn't perfect. Um, so I am bad. I am a bad yeah. person. Like, well,
0: I think that's the that's the thing because you've got to like, you know, I, I have seen this a lot in the practice of 12 steps. And and you know, I shared about this yesterday that what happens a lot, I think, is that we come in, we realize it's like after a while you sober up, you realize, wow, there's a mm-hmm. lot of wreckage. There's a lot of stuff. I have to fix it. And then the 12 steps is a great uh, thing. And, and therapy has something similar. And you know other groups have something where you're going to make an amends. You're going to write it all down, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to make an amends and you're going to clean it up. And I think a lot of people get out of that, the interpretation of that, okay, I should have then let go of what has happened. And what happens is, is that it wasn't really about the other person. It's not about what they did. It's remorse or guilt, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, could be good things. Maybe there are things that you feel remorseful or or guilty about. And then you, you feel that through the process of fixing those, you should feel better. Right, Christina. But the fact of the matter is you're still haunted and that's really has to do with shame. It's the idea of who you think you are. It -hmm. has nothing to do with, it has nothing to do with guilt Yes. or regret,
1: yes, yes, and I'm so glad that you brought it up. John Bradshaw, who wrote and started the discussion about shame, talks about twelve step groups a lot. Um, he is in recovery, he shared about it, and he talks about how we address shame, but I have seen that time and time again where somebody has come in and done the work, and then they don't understand why they still feel bad and our step five, six, and seven totally counteract that, totally talk about, you know, the things that are happening in our lives and our flaws or perceived flaws and what we can do about them. Um, I think that, that that has been one of the cornerstones of my recovery for sure. And John Bradshaw is renowned, Dr. Bradshaw, for his work in this area.
0: Well, why, it, why this is so important is because toxic shame will then take people out, even though seemingly they've done the work, right? Like yes. you look and they were honest and they did everything that they could do and they're not living the same life that they lived before. They're not repeating the stuff. Right. So it's not like they're repeating patterns. They're not around the same people. They're, they're, they've they've really in, in, in all appearances uh, not moved on, right? And are doing right. the right thing. But the thing is yet- They still are carrying everything. I know I still, I had a couple of things that I had toxic shame about, and I think I still do, right? There are certain things that pop up later in your recovery. You're like, you know what? This is like an old issue that I dealt with 30 years ago. Like, I don't need to be carrying this around with me.
1: So, so true. I love that you share that because shame is universal, which is why we have to have these kinds of conversations. Everybody has, and it's a primitive emotion, which means often we can't, until we do the work, excavate the belief system that's around it. And I guarantee anybody who's in recovery has a, a, a dose of shame that is fueling them. It's why we, it's why I drank because of the shame, and then why when we move into recovery, relief doesn't necessarily show up immediately. or, like you were saying, yeah. it comes back. And then you're like, I thought I handled it. and then we have shame about our shame.
0: Well, I think also too, that there's a little bit of unrealistic uh, hocus pocus that goes on with a lot of people in recovery, you know, and and we see this just in coaching because, they might've said, you know what? Wow. I did something to my family. That wasn't great. I've addressed it. I'm sober. I've made amends for it. And I'm now moving on. Right. Right. But yet other people haven't moved on. Right. (laughs) And they believe, you know, and, and they believe that it's like, well, I've dealt with it. Okay. Well, it's over. It's over. I've dealt with it. And, um, that the world's just going to move on and everything's going to move on. No. Like if you have a low credit score, Like when you go buy a car, they have not moved on. No, like you know, you you still have a low credit score, right? So it's like dealing with these one by one. And you know, one of the things that I like about uh, recovery is one of the huge principles is time fixes things. If you could just stay sober during that period of time, many things will be fixed. Many things will just be fixed on their own,
1: primarily just because you're sober. Right. Because you are inward focused. See, shame is outward focused. Perfectionism is outward focused. You know, we are depending on somebody else's opinion. Uh, We are also depending on our perception of somebody else's opinion. And what recovery teaches us is to look inward. And that's the only way we can truly make changes. We have to be able to uh, go through the muck, Mm -hmm. figure out the birthplace of it. You know, you know that I'm a big proponent of ACOA. I love the work that's done in ACOA. And it helped me to move out of that, you know, belief that there was something completely wrong with me. Um, and I was never going to be able to, to do it. It helped me divorce that story. And I think that that people in recovery, you know, that first couple of years, you're able to kind of deal with the here and now and then something will show up and you have, to, mm-hmm. I personally think you have to do that work to stay. You have to do that work to have a life, to have a life. Yes,
0: you do. You do. And the, and the thing is, is that I think if anybody's listening to this, they're like going, well, how do I know if I'm caught up in this? How do I know if I have the perfectionism and shame link, right? Yes. What, what are the signs? What would you say that the signs are when you see someone maybe that you're working with? You're like, oh man, you've got that deadly combination of right. perfectionism and shame.
1: Right. Well, the the signs are an unwillingness to talk about it, Um, keeping it a secret is paramount, an unwillingness to receive empathy, Uh, uh, anger, you know, anger, hidden anger is also a really big sign of it, Uh, not wanting to stop long enough to have the feelings catch up with them, Uh, refusing to believe that it even affected them is probably one of the biggest signs you know i'm done i've dealt with it it's over uh i don't know i don't think so you know i don't think that it's always over and then as we continue to recover new things can show up that will reactivate our shame even if they are seemingly so far apart you know this by watching it the people that have been over successful i don't know if that's the right word overachieving and they're just exhausted, and they can't figure out why every time they obtain a new goal, they don't get any joy out of it, and yeah. and it's simply because they need to continue to keep running so that it doesn't catch up with them.
0: Well, I think you know one of the things that we know about shame, and you know we talk about Hawkins' book, Letting Go, a lot, and that's such mm-hmm. a great book because he breaks down the energetic level and the bottom level, the worst level beyond anger, hate. Violence, everything—the worst energetic level that you could be at is shame. Yes, and he talks about himself being an alcoholic and coming in and being trapped in shame, and that it's a shame spiral, and that you—it's like a tide pool; you can't get out of it, right? It's like a—it's like a rip. Yes, the more and more you swim against the shame, the the more and more you get sucked into it, and this is—and this is confusing for people because they just feel helpless. I know right. I have with certain things with shame. Uh, and I, for me, and we're going to dive into this in the next segment about how our, Christina, we're going to get real about our right. issues with perfectionism, right? But I think the big thing with this that I took away from this Brene Brown thing is, is that the a lot of it is the questions you ask. One of the big game changers for me has been in recovery is I stopped asking the same questions. I stopped asking primer questions to suck me into shame guilt fear remorse right and and what are those questions what's wrong with me mm-hmm. i hear that all the time you know and what happens is you get the answer back the universe says let me hey damon let me tell you what's wrong with you this <laughs> this, this 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 right right
1: right and i'm so glad that you brought that part up because uh, as i've said before secrecy is one of the things that shame has to have in order for it to continue and what happens with perfectionism is we quit being curious and what we know about mastery which is i think the level that all of us want to be is that it's it's actually dependent on being curious and asking those questions asking yourself those questions and when you ask what's wrong with me it's important to understand that the answer is You know, a bunch of things and nothing at all because this is a human experience. But Christina never
0: comes back and nothing at all. Maybe (laughs) it will come back at nothing at all three hours later, but it usually comes back with, well, let me tell you, you didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't look a certain way. You don't have a certain car. You don't have it right. It'll suck you into the people, places, and things, and you're trapped. And one of the biggest things is, one of the biggest changes in my life is i started to ask different questions when yes. i get into this i start to say what's trying to emerge here
1: mm, and see- you know
0: what happened is i started getting back different questions and what one of the questions regarding perfectionism that came back is, it says what's trying to emerge here is you're not perfect right and i was like you're right i'm not perfect right and that's and, okay and, and that's nobody- okay
1: <laughs> and nobody can be perfect.
0: Yeah. It's unattainable. See, for me, I don't care if nobody's perfect. I still should have been perfect, right? Like, <laughs> see, for me, I'm one of those people. It's just like, well, that's not, that, that, let's not set the bar on other people because other people could be very disappointing. Uh, I should be perfect even right. though they're not. Right.
1: Right. Well, I, my father used to say, we're not perfect, but we're closer than most. <laughs> now, exactly. my, father, my father died an alcoholic death, so I can see how dangerous it is firsthand. You know, uh, one of the ways that shame goes away is empathy. And um, But we need self-compassion. We need self-compassion, even if it's just for five minutes to pick up the phone and reach out to somebody and say, this is what I'm going through. And mm-hmm. we know in peer support groups, the whole idea of empathy is what's happening when we're in a room, in a meeting, sharing things that we wouldn't normally share so that shame can dissipate. So remember that self-compassion and empathy are much more Uh, effective than keeping a secret and doubling down on your shame.
0: Yes, it is. It's absolutely true. And I have to, I have to say one of the things about, one of the things about the shame spiral about getting sucked into that, into this is that uh, it will take you down the wrong path. Because like, like Hawkins said, once you're in that energetic state, Mm -hmm. that's when the cravings start. That's when the bad people come up because it's like they're attracted these, these bad things, these things that aren't good for us, I even mm-hmm. like to use the word bad because it's sometimes they're not good or bad. They're just not for us, right? Right. They, 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 they come in to our lives because we're in that energetic state. Yes. We're trapped yes. in there. So the world says, well, you identify with that. You must like that. Let us give you more of that. Right, right. It's always trying to serve you, and that's what we get, you know. And mm-hmm. we get trapped into the shame, you know. This has been great because I love the highlight on this. I know that you're having a pretty deep conversation with this on recovered life, right, Christina? I, I sure. Mean, am. You are. You're. You're really. You're having this. So, if people want to join that conversation, they can.
1: It's, it's beautiful, too, because once again, it's very, very healing and we heal together. So uh, I've, I've been if you join the network, um, you can go ahead and put, you know, uh, addiction neuroscience and you'll mm-hmm. find all of the chapters there and you can get caught up.
0: Yeah, we have a ton of exclusive content on uh, on Recovered Life. If you go to Recovered you can access it right there. You could join for free. Uh, there's a lot of conversations on this, as well as Recovered Life discussions, which you know we get ask your opinion. You dive deep on it, yes. And we have a discussion with you, and we'll we'll tell you more about that. Now, when we come back, Christina, we're going to have a really great episode, another other segment, because you and I are going to mm-hmm. reveal how we've dealt with shame. Yes, and how we've dealt with this in our own recovery and what haunts us and how we got over it or what we're still dealing with. So hold tight. If you want, if you, if you want to look under the hood here, guys, this is the episode for you because Christine and I are going to talk about not clients, not what we're doing with clients, what we're doing with our own recovery So it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a great segment. It's going to come up after this quick break. Hey, before we go uh, to the break, Christina, I wanted to mention something very, very important uh, uh, that that has to do with shame. You created a free three day challenge called "Can't Say No." This thing is absolutely amazing. A lot of people would you say that a lot of people that deal with shame, especially toxic shame, they they might not know that they actually have a codependency issue.
1: Exactly. You know, we're looking for uh, to others to define us. That's what shame and perfectionism drive. And it's outward focused. This three day course allows you to have first language and little habits, you know, uh, that you can do every day to give yourself the room to actually take care of yourself and have time to look inward. Um, On there, I also include an inventory process that will help you to discover the patterns that you have and the times that you've said yes when you really wanted to say no. Uh, When I was taught this skill, it changed my life. Um, First time I said no, I thought I was gonna die. But since then, I've learned that is actually an acceptable answer.
0: Well, I have to tell you guys, this is just jam packed. It's three days. Plus, it is a special bonus gift that I will not reveal here. Okay. But you can get this 100% for free. And all you have to do is go to info.recoveredlife.us. Just click on the Can't Say No Challenge. You'll just, a couple steps, you're going to be right in watching those videos. That's info.recoveredlife.us. So, Christina, when we come back, we're, we're going to, we're going to do a little tell-all here, go. right? yep. We're going to let it go. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, uh, shame in our own lives and how we have dealt with this perfectionism and shame. All right. Coming back. We'll see you in 15 seconds. You're listening to the Recovered Life Show.
1: Welcome back. Stay stay listening to the podcast or watching us because we're going to have a lot of information. But before I do that, I want to remind everybody this is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Continue to like, share, follow, and leave us a comment so that we can have a conversation. Also dot, uh, visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network where you can find those Recovered Life discussions and leave a donation that allows us to keep keep helping others that's info.recoveredlife.us
0: I have to tell you Christina um I I have to share with you before we dive into the segment a conversation that I had with a buddy of mine who called me who finally joined recovered life and he you know said wow he's like you know the pandemic really messed up my connection (laughs) with people yes in, in in 12 step groups and with with friends that i had that were also in recovery and this has been a game changer for him and you know and it's so amazing and he's like and it's 100% free he was like are you sure <laughs> like I pay you for anything or he's like, because there's so much content on there and he's loving it because, you know, he can work it into his schedule and it's yes. got an app right on your phone, which is really cool. And it's like this private community. And so he's having conversations with people and connecting with people that he hasn't for years, literally for years. And he's like, I'm right in there. He's like, it's become a huge part of my recovery. So guys, if you, if you haven't joined, go to recoveredlife.us. And join. It's 100 percent for free. It's literally the best game in town. And it's right. free. How do you how do you beat it? How do you beat it?
1: I don't think you do. It's uh dare I say perfect. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it's, <laughs> we become, it's, say it's that. become a huge part of our
0: lives. I mean, yes. look, you and I are always posting on there. And we're having recovered life uh conversations. So all the conversations go either from you know our lives uh or from clubhouse right onto the recovered life uh app. And it's great because we can have, we can continue on these conversations. I even like it better than 12 step fellowships because at the end of the fellowship, that was it. Uh, yeah. But I'm still having conversations that were very interesting to me a month ago, that started a yes. month ago.
1: Yes, absolutely. And for me, it's been awesome to meet people all over the world um, and realize how much we all share. Both in our troubles and our victories, you know, we've talked about it before. That I didn't know that there was a life outside of alcoholism, and this has been one of the. Back then, it was Alcoholics Anonymous, but seeing these options show up and blow up, it really does end isolation.
0: It's it's absolutely crazy. It's a brand new recovery world. We want you to be a part of it. So go to RecoveredLife.us. And join for free. Hey, we're diving into it here. We're going to get real. Uh, we're talking about how do we deal with perfectionism or recovery in this second segment, Christina. Uh, because many people say, hey, what I like about the live show is when you guys talk about your own recovery in your own life. Right. And then also how you've dealt with clients to get them from point A to point Z, right? Right. So let's, let's dive into it. I know you have no perfectionism issues at all. <laughs> and that pretty much you just you know, flow through life looking great and. Got the yes. good Orange County life, and pretty yes. much everything
1: is perfect, <laughs> but you don't have
0: any perfectionism.
1: Oh, that's funny to even think about. Um, I, I've shared many times on the show my origin story starts with shame from the beginning. My mother became pregnant out of wedlock, and in 1969, with our super hyper religious family, she carried a lot of shame. And what I have discovered uh, with research, you know, once my son was diagnosed, looking at anxiety, looking at the genetics compound. What we're learning now is that we know that we carry shame and trauma from seven uh, generations back. They've been able to clear that. So didn't know all of that when I was putting alcohol down, didn't know that shame was what was driving me. But eventually I had to concede to myself that truly in the deepest part of me, I didn't believe that I should even be here based Mm -hmm. on that history. I didn't believe that I should be alive. And if I am alive, then I better work until my fingers are bloody. I better look good doing it. I better make sure that I always remember your birthday. I always remember what you want. You know, my codependency was a five alarm fire in my life when I got sober. It was what I was treating with alcohol. And it took me a couple of years after, you know, my brain kind of came back online and I started to realize that that it was a safe environment for me to start working on this. So, yeah, yeah.
0: it's you know what? And and perfection of this whole idea, it's like I'm never going to get it wrong. Right. Um, it's, you know, I've got to outwork everybody else, which is a myth, by the way, working hard mm-hmm. to become successful. No, I do believe you have to work hard. I do. I'm one of those people that believe that you got to put in the effort, right? But this whole, like, I constantly have to work hard, even though I've done the work. And this is this codependency thing that you talk about all the time, Christian. this codependency thing. (laughs) Um, You know, what's great about this is because I realized that even after I had, I was working hard, and we've talked a lot about how crazy this is I look now, is that I had to work hard for other people. That they needed to take it even if they were working for me. No, I'll do the heavy lifting always. Right, right. My, that is, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Even if I'm paying for it, somebody yes. to do the heavy lifting, I still feel like I've got to like, well, I got to do the heavy lifting and all this stuff. It's crazy thinking. And this perfectionism leads right into this is that no one can do it better than I can. Wow. Sure. Killer, right?
1: Well, and perfectionism is you know uh, something that we're all going to lose at. Regardless, first of all, who gets to decide what's perfect anyway? But, you know, and I knew this on a logical standpoint. I would say the last 15 years, I really understood that there is no perfection. Now, being able to heal it and Kind of look through where it where it actually started took a little more effort, and I would even beat myself up for knowing that nobody's perfect, but being compelled and driven to continue to try to do it. And I felt like
0: absolutely go
1: go ahead. I want to hear. Uh, Well, I was going to say
0: absolutely. It's like you know what happens is is that you like I know for me, I really feel a lot of times it's like well. I have to get it right before I do it. And Mm -hmm. I've learned, look, I'm an an entrepreneur, and the people who know me that listen to this, I'm an entrepreneur, I've had several businesses, I'm involved in a lot of stuff. And the thing is, is that uh, when I look back, and I did this last night, I was in the car waiting to pick up my daughter, and I was thinking about everything that I had to do. And ultimately, we'll go, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, Mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at what I did execute, And and I'll just tell you this one big thing and into my recovery goes into my recovery business too, or just recovery practice, mm-hmm. is that um, it's all about execution. Yes. It's not about thinking. You don't mm-hmm. have to be smart to to, to have long term recovery. You don't. Matter of fact, I think it's better if you're not smart. So if you're sitting there listening to say like, "Oh, I'm super educated," I'm like, "Well, that that means that you're an overthinker, right?" And, and you're probably going to have a
1: problem right and you know what i what i believe is you know and they say this in the the big book about fear being the number one offender and uh, you know my my nervous system and my belief system were built on things that i made a decision about when i was 2 years old or 3 years old and in my 20s that thought process, that belief system was killing me. And so, you know, you take care of the first thing first, you put down the substance, but I had to start saying, wow, I'm making decisions on a, you know, outdated in, you know, no way to get it kind of basis. You know, I'm I'm thinking that my life is supposed to look like it is in the movies, that I'm supposed to be perfect at something the first time I try. And part of it was that, I was, I did succeed in a lot of things, but my spiritual maturity wasn't uh, strong enough in the beginning to realize that I have to be right-sized and I have to be able to handle disappointments and try again. We talked about hopelessness last week and hope, and hope is not a feeling. It's a cognitive process. So as I started learning this, I realized I did have it within me to change the rules, which is- I think- yeah, I
0: think that that that's the key is that you do have to change the rules because the 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 way that I have noticed that perfectionism really seeps into my life is mm-hmm. overthinking
1: is mm-hmm. overthinking
0: and this for me, you know, I made a statement um it was 5 years ago I believe I made the statement that I was going to stop thinking for most of the time and just execute. That's mm. when my life, when I look back at my life really taking off and huge areas where I've had really huge, big things, it's like, I stopped thinking. And I actually got to the point where I stopped thinking so much. Now, when I say stop thinking, I'm thinking, obviously, I've got to think yes. in my job and what I do, but I stopped pondering and ruminating and and right. overthinking and strategizing. And what does this mean? And all those, I just dumped all of that. And I had one hour a week where I would smoke a cigar in my backyard. I would think for an hour, two hours, that was it. I'd write yes. it all down on a notepad and I'd say, that's it. I close the mm-hmm. notepad. That's it for me with my strategic thinking for the week about how I can improve my life. I already know how, what I need to do to improve my life. I don't need to think about it 24 hours a day.
1: Exactly. We do know how. And the things, you know, for me, it was a hypervigilance of always pondering and worrying about what could happen, all of the scenarios. That was a survival skill that saved my life growing up. But it had uh, stayed, uh, outstayed its welcome in my life because I was wasting and feeling and going through somehow i would forget it you know watching to see what can i control what can i do and just being able to take that rest i love that you said that you made a decision not to think anymore. Because, you know, for me, one of the basis of my recovery was understanding that I can't have really two thoughts at one time, and that I have agency over my thinking. And so rather than denial, which is, I'm not going to look at it at all, I could make a choice every day, every hour, I could double down and say, this is what I'm going to think about right now. I have the mm-hmm. choice. That is interesting. I'm sure it'll come up again whenever I need to deal with it. But right now, I have to to, you know, they have this saying in Al on pray and do the dishes. And that has been my life for so many years, um, that sometimes now it feels foreign to worry about it, to worry about the future.
0: So you got that, that is, you know, the the strategy. And I do believe that this is an ACOA thing. That Mm -hmm. if you come from dysfunction or you come from an alcoholic thing, your mind is geared from a very early on about what can go wrong. And, you know, I I had somebody that was working with me. He's like, I don't know why that I'm always thinking about what can go wrong and strategize. And I'm like, well, because you come from a place where uh, things did go wrong. And when they went wrong, there were huge consequences. So the thing is, is that your mind, it's a survival mechanism, like you said. But I think one of the big things... Is to understand that it is a mechanism, and that what you can do is you can simply just make a choice. I, I and you know just make a choice. Hey, I don't want this anymore. Like I'm right. I'm aware of it, and I'm going to start working to let go of that.
1: Well, when we know five percent of our thoughts, you know, the human brain has fifty to seventy thousand thoughts a day. Five percent of them are new. So we know that if we've thought about it, we've probably thought about it for years and making a plan to focus on something that is positive. Our brains are set up, like you said, for safety, negative bias. That's exactly what happens in everybody's brain, whether you are in recovery or not. And so stopping that pattern and saying, nope, today I'm going to today I'm going to focus right because i want more of that and it really really does work
0: that's it call into what you want in your life as opposed to sitting and obsessing about what isn't working or what you believe isn't working and this is the this is the big takeaway for me i know that i spent a lot of time thinking about and ruminating and having anxiety over what wasn't perfect christina and in the reality that too was a judgment call because later on, I did make the right call. It was as perfect as it could be in that moment, um, and perfect is overrated, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I think I think it's the doing of it. And like, if that's the one thing that I was going to leave with everybody, is like what I got out of my battle with perfectionism. It's just do something, execute yes. as much as you can in life. Don't sit and think about it. So you don't need so much thought around it.
1: Yeah. No, the elusive will of God. You know, when somebody says, How do I know if they're <laughs> if I'm in God's will? I say, Well, you try something, when you get that stop sign or that two by four to your head, you realize, oh, that's not God's will. I'll go the other way. <laughs> There's no magic to it.
0: Absolutely. This has been a really great episode. Perfectionism. We dove into it. We're gonna have more discussion around this in Recovered Life discussions, which happen on Clubhouse, you can access all those at recoveredlife.us. Christina, any final thoughts about perfectionism here as we wrap up episode 97?
1: Yes. The the cure is to start with self-compassion. Self-compassion and understand uh, whether you are just realizing that perfectionism has been very detrimental to you to start with self-compassion and realize that we all we all suffer from shame.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cut yourself a break, guys. Final thought, cut yourself a break. There's a lot of really great things in your life. Episode 97, Wednesday, April 13th, 2022 episode in the can. We'll see you guys on Friday. Have a really great rest of your week.
1: Bye. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.